0: I've uh taken the title from the verse that says the nations before him are as nothing because he's telling us how powerful he is on our behalf. That's what it's all about. That's why he's telling us that the nations are nothing. Because these nations that we're concerned about are within. And we struggle against them every day. And we're fighting against them. And it's a life and death battle. And we want to go out and occupy the land as God told Israel to do. We want to occupy the land within and be in charge of everything that takes place within us. We're We're going to start in verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead them that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heaven with a span? And comprehended the uh, dust of the earth with a measure. And weighed the mountains in scales and scales and the hills and the balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or, been his counsel, or being his counselor has taught him? With whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance, the dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very small thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations, all nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him as less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman melts a graven image. The goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot and seeks unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that will not be moved. Now, this prophecy of Isaiah is founded on all scriptures which precede it, and in turn, it's the foundation of the prophets who followed Isaiah. This prophecy is the vision and the understanding of the work the Lord is doing in Judah and Jerusalem as types of his elect. Us. This is all about us. All things are for your sakes. And this is especially true of the scriptures here in, in Isaiah. Let's go back to chapter 1 and read the first four verses just to remember, just to remind ourselves what this is all about. This is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they've rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, the ass his mother, the master's crib, but Israel does not know their owner. My people do not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corrupters. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away and backward. Well, that's what the Word of God is for. as as he tells us later in chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. The Word of God is written, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, so that they will fall backward and be snared. Judah and Jerusalem are Old Testament types of the Lord's elect who were chosen before the foundation of the world to be first fruits unto God and the Lamb and to be those who first trusted in Christ. Neither this nor any other prophecy of Scripture was ever intended to be understood by anyone other than the Lord's elect at this present time. As I was, as we were saying earlier in our discussion, we we went to, to a play in Blue Ridge, Georgia, with Ruthann last night, and it was a, quite an experience. Because, like Sandy said, it's it's good to rub shoulders with the world from time to time, and 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 realize what an incredible blessing we have with with each other, being able to speak the truth to each other because the world does not have the truth. And they don't only, not only do they not have it, but they hate it with a purple passion. They despise the truth. So all of these scriptures are for the Lord's elect at this present time. This prophecy of the entire book of Isaiah concerns the apostasy and the redemption of the Lord's firstfruits, the apostasy and the redemption of the Lord's firstfruits. And is built upon the truth which has been revealed many years earlier by King Solomon. Now, when I say it's about the first fruit, it has no application to later fruits, but it primarily and foremost is addressed to us. And it's like I, like I say here, it's built upon the scriptures that come before it, it is Ecclesiastes 1 13 in particular. I applied my heart to inquiring and exploring by wisdom concerning all that is done under the heavens. It's an experience of evil. God has given to the sons of humanity to humble them by it. Now, those words being the truth, it follows that the Lord's elect, typified by Jude and Jerusalem, should be the first to understand that the Lord has given them an experience of evil to humble them. It's for that reason This prophecy is addressed to the Lord's typical elect who are the first to see themselves as rebellious children, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors and have forsaken their Lord and have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger and have gone backward. That's that's us. Every word of it is what we've done in getting to where we are today. God's elect are not his elect because they're any better than anyone else. The fact is the exact opposite. God's elect must come to see themselves as the basest of men and chief of sinners. Here it is, just for our own eyes to see. The matter, this matter is by decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high lives in the kingdom, rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the basest of men First Timothy 1 verse 15 this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We're never going to be able to be used of God in this present time if we don't humble ourselves and see ourselves as the basis of men and the chief of sinners. As we've clearly demonstrated in the scriptures. For our admonition, Jacob was far more offensive to Esau than Esau was to him. Yet he was God's elect. King David was far more offensive in taking Uriah's wife and then taking his life than King Saul was in taking the spoils of the Amalekites. And yet he's a type of God's elect. There's a reason for that. Hezekiah was no better than his wicked father Ahaz. He did the exact same sins. Yet Jacob, King David, and King Hezekiah were all given place for repentance. Not because they were any better, just that God gave them place for repentance. We're all given the humility, and it was a gift to humble ourselves as a gift. It's not something that we work up in ourselves. Given the gift to confess their sins and repent. That has to be done. It has to be done, but when it's done, we didn't do it. It has to be Christ in us. But the scriptures want us to know that the Lord's elect, you and I, are chief of sinners, the basest of men, and no flesh can glory in his presence. Here are our qualifications. This is what qualifies us to be God's elect. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 through 29. This this is, this is our qualifications. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen, you and me, the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And God has chosen the base things of the world. He's talking about his calling on us here and the things which are despised. People just despise us. Not just because we're God's elect. Because we're despicable. That's why God chooses us. Yes, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Yes, we're despised as God's elect, but he chooses us because we are despised. Before we were his elect. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now the verses above are the biblical list of the qualifications of those God has chosen as his elect. The Greek word translated as chosen is ekleg omahi. It appears in the New Testament 22 times, and it's always translated as chosen, chose, or choice. Now, this word has the same root as the word elect, which is eklektos, which is translated as chosen seven times itself. Now, this prophecy and all of the scriptures demonstrate that the Lord is just as merciless on the old man of his elect as he is on the old man in all the rest of mankind. In other words, those who are blessed to find a place for repentance do so only because of their election. They're being chosen by God for that blessing and for that position. And the Lord wants us to know that if we are given that blessing, it has nothing whatsoever to do with our own righteousness or anything that comes of ourselves. This is why this b- book begins as it does. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, the master, the ass is master's crib, but Israel doesn't know. My people do not consider. A sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. They have gone away backward. That's us. That's all of us. It's in spite of our weakness and corruption that we are the Lord's elect not, and are granted to find place for repentance, while others are not given that grace, even though they might seek to do so. Hebrews 12:17. Now, this, this is just what the Scriptures say, and it says it for our benefit, so that we'll know how special we are to God Because of what he's doing. Hebrews 12, 17. For you know how that afterward, when he, talking about Esau, would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found, why was he rejected? Was it because he was such a bad guy? No, no, no. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Wow. The entire story of King Hezekiah, starting in chapter 36 with the Assyrian invasion and the deliverance of Hezekiah from that invasion, his sickness unto death, the turning back of the sundial, his healing, and Hezekiah taking the credit for all the Lord's works for him, through him, typify how the Lord, Lord's elect do the same thing. We, you and I, do that. We have done it. And we must acknowledge that we have nothing at all to bring to offer God. And yet we do. We, we, we think we have. And yet we're given place for repentance, while others who are no worse than we are are not even given that blessing. They don't, they, don't, they don't even know that they need it. The entire story of the experience of King Hezekiah is given to us, not just as a history lesson, but as types of us. To let us know just how special we are to the Lord. And to let us know just how powerful he is on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 10.6. I didn't write it, but this is what it says. This is the Concordant Version, but it's what it says. It's a better translation here than the King James. 1 Corinthians 10.6. Now these things became types of us, for us not to be lusters after evil things. Well, if we're if it's types of us, that's what we are to begin with. 1 Peter 1, verses 9 through 12. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Your faith is Christ's faith. He gives it to you, like he says, the Father will take of mine and give to you, because it's the Father's spirit that he gives to us. But he calls it his, and he explains that. And that's the way it is with our faith and our uh Everything that we do, it's all of him through us, through Christ to us. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation? The prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Not to themselves, to to you and to me. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them... Not as it is in us, but it was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Not that was there then, it was going to follow Christ. Unto whom, these prophets in the Old Testament, it was revealed that not to themselves, now there is the word of God not to themselves, but to us. They did minister the things which are now reported to you by them that have preached the gospel to you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The Lord is intent on making his elect aware of the work he's doing in and through them for their good as his tool to bring salvation to all men. That's that's what he's doing with us. Romans 11, verse 31. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy, through our mercy to those in the Old Testament, they also may obtain mercy. And and for those who are in the millennium and, and, and the people who have been living from Christ till now who don't know Christ, for all men, Ephesians 3, verses 9 through 12. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. God created everything by Jesus Christ, by the word, to the intent. This is why he created all things by Jesus Christ that unto the pa- principalities and powers in the heavens, that is in the spiritual realm, might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. That's, that's the goal. That's the intent. That's what will happen. According to the eternal purpose of him, which purposed, which he purposed, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access wisdom, by the faith of him. That's why I said earlier, your faith is his faith. It's a gift that he gives us. It's his faith and he's given it to us. At the same time, he's intent upon making us aware that we bring absolutely nothing to the table. Everything is being done by the faith of him. And it's all being made known by the church, signified by Zion and Judah in the last two verses of these of the most encouraging words of our last study. O Zion that bring good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. This is the new Zion and the new Jerusalem, not the one in chapter one. This is the one in chapter 40. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold, your God. Behold, the Lord will come with, a, with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. His arm. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. Nothing depends upon us. Nothing. Being given the commission by the Lord to be a bringer of good tidings unto the cities of Jerusalem, Judah, and assuring them that their success is his work, is something special. A work worthy of our greatest respect, as we are told in Hebrews 11, verse 25 and 26. Speaking of Moses, he says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's what that story of Moses typifies, is coming out of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He didn't diminish it and play it down. He played it up. He appreciated it. And at the same time, we're told he was the meekest man on earth. He didn't ask for his job, but he did it. Christ did it through him. And that job led the world to think that he thought he was somebody. Well, he knew better. And being falsely accused doesn't change the truth. Just as we are being sent to feed and comfort the Lord's flock, He Himself feeds and comforts us. Verse 11 here today. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom, and shall gently lead those with young, those that are with young. We're in the very best hands anyone can hope for to hope to be in. Christ Himself is our spiritual insurance policy, and to keep us aware of His qualifications to keep us safe in Himself. He asks us to consider who has measured the waters of the ho- in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor has taught him? With whom took he counsel and who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Well, there are those who believe that God just slowly learned through billions of years what wisdom and understanding and knowledge are. There are papers written on that subject by people who were once in close fellowship with us. But it's not the case. God did not learn how to create the universe? He just spoke it into existence. The answer to every one of these questions is absolutely no one. That's the answer. So instead, this is what we're given as questions to this answers to this question. These questions. First Corinthians two verses, starting in verse nine. As it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men, man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. But, this is the part nobody ever reads, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So spiritual eyes have seen and spiritual ears have heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man, but the spirit of God within us does. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We know these things, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Don't expect him to know them. Like Dennis says, don't expect a dog to be anything but a dog rolling in manure and in dead carcasses and thinking that he's smelling much better when he comes up than he was before he got to roll in it. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet, get that? Don't think that judge not that you be not judged means that you're not supposed to have any ability to discern the spirits. Ho, ho, ho. He that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might, may instruct him? Nobody knows the mind of God to instruct them, but we have the mind of Christ. As our experience has and does and will continue to demonstrate, it is very few indeed who are given to know the things that are freely given to us of God. We want to make them common, and and, and many do anyway, and, and no, special, no special gift at all. That's not the way we should look at it. We should know the things that are freely given to us, not to others, but to us. Paul drives home this point concerning the promises of God in the second epistle to the Corinthians. This is chapter uh, one of the second epistle, starting in verse 18. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in Him was yea, yes, for all the promises in Him are yes, and in Him amen. Under the glory of God by us. Now He which establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Us includes. All of those who have been given that. Not just the ones that are speaking and teaching. All that, that receive their word. In Christ, inwardly and in spirit, we can say with him, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 18. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, now look at that. We're not talking about hundreds of people here. We're talking about the 11. All the 12 apostles but Judas who had hung himself by this time. Some doubted. Some of the apostles doubted. And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. I remember reading that years ago when I had no understanding and thinking, wow, I wonder why he's not using it. Why isn't he straightening things out? He's got all power. He's doing exactly what it was planned to be done from the beginning, from before the world began. He's doing exactly what needs to be done to bring about a spiritual creature in every man who has ever lived. Now here's how we're to apply these words, if we are in Christ, He's in us, and we understand what it means to be as He is in this world. Philippians four thirteen I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, th- does that give me the power to s- speed up the Lord's agenda and to start telling uh, you know President Trump what to do, or or or, or withstanding the the uh, local authorities? and start this moment acting as if I I have all power in earth and, and in an outward manner, that day will not arrive for me or for you or anyone else until after the first resurrection at the spiritual last trump, meaning the time of the beginning of the outward judgment of the kingdom of this world. As we are plainly told. Remember, the physical, the natural always precedes the spiritual. So if there's going to be a kingdom of god spiritually there'll have to be a kingdom of god naturally before that and I, and and you say well that's what israel was well yeah in type there's going to be a literal kingdom of god ruled by god's elect over the kingdom of this world so let's put these verses together let's just put them together and see what it actually says First Corinthians fifteen we're going to start at verse fifty. Now this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Corruptible must put on incorruption. That's right. We're not an immortal. We're corruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality. We don't have immortality. We've got to put it on at the last trump. Now, let's go to First Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Add a few more lines upon lines and precepts upon precepts here and get the full picture. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that is, they're dead in Christ, that you sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Christ will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede, in other words, we won't be caught up first them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. The Lord himself, Jesus Christ himself, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. That's a qualifier there. That's talking about Jesus Christ himself, not his elect. We're going to hear where they are here in just a second. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So anyone who ever says that Mike Vincent teaches that Jesus Christ himself is not coming back there, it's just going to be a spiritual thing in his elect. They, they haven't read what Mike Vincent writes and they haven't read what the scriptures say. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord himself to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort you, comfort one another with these words. Now let's go to Revelation 11 verse 15. The seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So there it is. Now, in this present time, we are to be subject to the powers that be. We're not supposed to take it upon ourselves to start acting like we're in charge of this world. It says plainly, be subject to the powers that be because they're ordained of God. And if we resist that power, we are resisting God. And we will reap to ourselves damnation. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject unto the higher power. Well, we have all power over heaven and heaven and earth within to overcome all the nations within. We have no power yet over the kingdom of this world. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be of this world are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist will receive to themselves judgment. Damnation, you'll go to jail and pay the price. Here is what all power in heaven and earth empowers the Lord's anointed to accomplish at this time, at this present time, as it says in verse 18 of Romans 8. We're we're reading here, though, in Romans 6, starting in verse 11. Likewise, reckon yourselves uh, to be dead indeed to Christ. Dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, alive to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but, yourself, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You have all power in heaven and in earth over sin in your life. For you're not under the law of Moses, but under grace. Now, that is what is freely given to us of God at this present time. Romans 8.18, I reckon the sufferings, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. At this present time, we're given power over all sin within. We're not given power over sinners outside ourselves or outside the body of Christ at this present time. Because the kingdom of God is just within us. It's not without yet. That's what's being said in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. When he was demanded the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, is that saying that it will never come with observation, it will never be without us? That's not what it said at all. He was answering them what needed to be said at that moment to people who had no clue that there was such a thing as a spiritual kingdom. That's what he was answering them. And he's doing it for our benefit. He wasn't even talking to those people for their benefit. He knew they wouldn't understand anything he said. But he said that for our benefit that we would understand that the kingdom of God at this time in this present age is within us. But there will come a time and we'll read it here in revelation eleven fifteen. 15, the seventh angel sounded and there came voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign for the ages of the ages, meaning the thousand years and the, the second death, white throne, judgment, lake of fire. All of that will be administered by the church. Ephesians 3.10. I don't have it here, but that's where it says that. We are not yet given power over outward nations, as we will be given if we're granted to have a part in the blessed and holy first resurrection. Now, the argument is that there is no such thing as a second resurrection, not a biblical phrase, Oh, well, I guess that resurrection that comes after the thousand years is what? There was one before the thousand years, and it's called the first resurrection. What does that make the one that comes next? Without even saying it, it makes it second. It makes it later. I saw an angel come down, Revelation 20, starting in verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the abusos. It's not bottomless. It's just the deep. And shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. Now the deep is the flesh of all men. And that's where he is. He's still in the flesh, but he's unable to manipulate. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones. And they sat upon them. Who? Who sat upon them? And judgment was given to them. Who was given judgment? And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Who is that? Who was given that judgment? First Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Don't you know we will judge the world don't you know we will judge angels but the rest of the dead those who are not in the first resurrection those whose names are not found in the book of life the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power has not will not never did have but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Oh, the the second death has no power and they rule with him a thousand years because they came up first. The saints of God have never before been raised up from the dead in the first resurrection. Those in Christ have never been given power over the nations to rule them with a rod of iron, to dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Nevertheless, that is exactly what will happen. At the appointed time, predestined, and all those who doubt and deny these biblical truths will be just as astonished as the whole world was when the flood of Noah occurred. Matthew 24 verse 36, but of that day and hour knows no man know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. However, there will be one soul, well there will not be one soul, not one soul in the first resurrection, who's not been humiliated in this time and granted that is given and blessed to be dashed to pieces within, dashing all the nations within to pieces, within themselves. And only after having experienced the death of the old man in the first judgment, that's another argument. There's no such thing as a first judgment. Well, (laughs) judgment is now on the house of God, that may not be the statement first judgment, but it's very close to it. And it begins there. That's where it begins at this present time. And we will be given and granted the blessing of being in that first and holy first resurrection if we are given to be faithful to the end. And we will judge this world and we will judge angels. First Peter 4, starting in verse 12, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Boy, it is fiery, but don't think it strange, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the Spirit of God, the Spirit and glory of God rests on you. But Look at that again. The Spirit and glory of God, Spirit of glory and of God rests on you if you are reproached for the name of Jesus. On, your, on their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you when that happens. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Don't worry about what your brother is doing. Let the Lord work in your brother's or sister's life. You can't drag anyone to Christ. And you shouldn't be attempting to drag your brother or your sister to Christ. Let the Lord do that. He's good at it. You and I are not good at it. We drive them away. That's what we do. We drive them away. We cut off their ears. Let's let the Lord do his work. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, judgment begins at us. Uh, you can say that the first resurrection is not mentioned in the Bible. There's no such phrase, but there is a first resurrection that begins at us, the house of God. Judgment first begins at us. What will the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where, the un- where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Well, we know what the answer is. Peter knew what the answer was. He's the one that told us in in chapter one of this very book that the angels were not meant, and the Old Testament people were not ministering to themselves, but to us. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Commit the keeping of your soul to him. Don't have any anxious thoughts about tomorrow, and yet work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that the end is already decided. Why would we not commit the keeping of our souls to him in well-doing? After all, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the aisles as a very little thing. Nothing can overcome power him. Whatever he's decided, that's what he's doing. And he has decided that his first fruits are going to be his first fruits and they're going to make it through. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations to him are as nothing. And they're counted as less than nothing in vanity. It is hard to watch the news, see the mighty power of the nations around the world and how they vie against each other. And to realize and believe, even believe, that all of that is going to be put under God's elect and put down and taken away. That's hard to believe. It takes great faith to believe that. And those who have that faith have it, and those who don't, they don't. As the Lord's elect, those words are just as true as, and as reassuring to the nations inwardly and spiritually as they are outwardly. If indeed our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, then our inward nations and giants and our passions and our flesh is counted to him as less than nothing and vanity. And nothing can separate us from him and his love. Romans 8 verse 28 Starting there, we know that all things, we know, we have faith. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. This is the love of God. By this we know that we love our brothers, when we love God and keep his commandments. To them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, and whom he called he glor- justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to all these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? doesn't matter what anybody says or thinks. all that matters is what God says and thinks. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Christ said specifically, I don't pray for the world. I'm praying for those that you gave me. I don't know. Man. Maybe maybe he just didn't mean anything at all by that. But to me, that sounds pretty special. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. Recounted as sheep for the slaughter. No. And all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's my prayer. That the Lord will give every one of us the faith of Christ, to simply believe the Lord's inspired words here, to accept it as a true biblical fact that the Lord is making everything work after, work together for our good, as the called according to his purpose, whom he foreknew and predestined to be the firstborn among many other brothers, who will come to him through our mercy, and that Christ, at this very moment, in this present time, is at the right hand of of the Father making intercession for us, and that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers or anything present or anything to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What more can we ask of the Lord? Verse 18, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? The answer is obviously, is obvious considering what we were just told. There's nothing to which we, which our Lord can be likened. Nevertheless, it was only yesterday that even the Lord's elect were worshiping the man of sin who had set himself up in the temple of God, showing himself to be God with a will that was free from the will of God. It is spiritual adultery to believe and teach that our salvation depends upon anything other than Christ and his work and his will. But because we think we... We we because we all first only think physically, we all deny that we have ever been guilty of our, of these last two verses of our study today. We we I I've never worshipped a graven image. Oh yes, we have. Every one of us have worshipped a graven image when we know what a graven image is. Verse nineteen and twenty. The workman makes a graven image, and the goldsmith. Melts a graven image, and a goldsmith, the goldsmith spreads it over with work with gold, and casts silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot, and he seeks unto himself a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved now, according to the scriptures, we are this goldsmith. The workmen, we are this workman that melts a graven image. We do that. We melt and spread gold and and cast chains of silver. Because all of this is the Lord's words, which we twist to say what we want to hear. Ezekiel 16, verse 17. You have taken your fair jewels of my gold and my silver, which I've given you, And made to yourself images of men, and they commit whoredom with them. Joel 3, verse 5. Because you have taken my silver, my gold, and have carried into your temples my goodly things. Idolatrous idolatrous images in Scripture are false doctrines and idols of the heart. Here it is. Ezekiel 14, verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart. So don't say you haven't worshipped a graven image. That's exactly what we do when we have false doctrines. And put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Should I even waste my time with the flesh? Well, thank goodness he does. In our next study, the Lord will again reassure us that he is at the helm. No one and nothing can deter what he is doing. And nothing anyone does is hidden from him who is working everything after the counsel of his own will. I'm not going to bother to read it, because we need to use the time we have left for discussion. But that's our study for today. Thank you for being here with us. Hope you were edified.